The views expressed on the following show may not be those of the hosts, guests, or WSPN Skidmore Radio. Talk Saratoga is produced by Saratoga Broadcasting Incorporated and may not be reproduced in part or in whole unless expressed written approval is given. Now, here are the hosts of Talk Saratoga, Rick Thompson and a Saratoga All-Star. All right, good morning on this uh, chilly Saturday, uh, January the 20th, and we're into uh, the almost the end of January already, so we're down one with 11 more to go, and I, the 11 is going to go by faster than holy heck. But anyway, I want to introduce our special all-star here today. She's always a favorite of mine and a special guest over the years. And sometimes she even helps me out with a last-minute phone call. But uh, this time she had plenty of notice, so I don't feel bad. Sue Beebe, who's the Assistant Director of Agriculture, at the Agriculture Issue Leader at the Saratoga County Cornell Cooperative Extension. And uh, good morning, Sue. Good morning, Rick. Uh, we, how have you been? Well, I'm just getting over being sick with bronchitis. So oh we're just, you know... We, we actually have a voice right yeah, now. Yeah, so but you know, that, holds. that takes a lot out of you. It does, it does. I have a friend at Exhausting. work. Exhausting. I have a friend at work, <laughs> and she um, had, had gotten a bad cold and went into bacterial pneumonia, and she cannot shake a cough after three weeks. Yeah. And uh, I tell you, there is so much going around. There is, and, there is. Uh, yeah. And I don't know if it's... You know, they always say when it gets cold, everything, all the viruses in that die. Well, I don't really believe it, but <clears throat> because, and you know, I don't know if you had all your shots, but I had the flu, the extra booster, and then the RSV, whatever that, that no, was. No, I really so. only managed to get the flu shot in. I didn't get the other ones in, you know, just because of the way scheduling and everything was. Right. But, you know... Of course, the flu shot should have really kind of helped with that, you know, avoiding thought. the, uh, you know. You would think so. The bronchitis, but no, that didn't happen. And they were really concerned. They were watching it for pneumonia. Yeah, so did it shorten like, it up, though? Yeah, no. I mean, it, a yes, bit. yes, think so? a little, yeah. I think so. All right, well, I'm glad to see you. Mm-hmm. You look healthy and uh, probably still tired out a little bit yeah. from uh from all that stuff. Yeah. But anyway, let's get It just get drains in. you. That's the whole problem. It just really drains you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, I know. I know. It. And that, and that's what happens. I mean, you, you need plenty of rest yeah, and no. water, but how can you do that when you work? I mean, yeah, that, yeah, that's no. the problem. You just can't get your rest, you yeah. know. But yep. uh, but anyway, unless you hit the ladder. Anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, one of the programs that I think is fantastic. It fills up every year, and I know you have to sign up a ways before it, but your Master Gardening Program, that's always uh, full. Every time you're on the show, even yeah, if it's early, it. you always say it's full, Rick, for this we have, year. We have, we have a good Master Gardener Program that, that goes, and actually we, you know, we had our first session a couple of weeks ago, and then we had the Martin Luther King break, and so we start with our soil class uh, on Monday, so... Um, you know, it's always a fun time. It's a, it's a lot because we are now doing it um, virtually, and then we have in-person sessions on top of that. 
okay. you know, on a, on a monthly type basis for that. Um, so it's, it's a lot when you're doing a virtual training like that and it's really a full day for folks. Yeah. I, you know, that's just, you know, but, but the plus side to it compared to when we were in person only is that we do record it. Okay. Which then of course means you have it there to then re-listen to okay. versus just the notes that you would have that you took on the day of the meeting yeah. when we were in person only. Yeah, and sometimes so honestly, miss. it's a little bit, you know, I, I, it, it's funny because I have a veteran master gardeners who will listen in just as a refresher. And some of them have said to me, they actually think that it's kind of a nicer format than when we were in person. Really? You miss the, you miss the camaraderie, you know, developing as rapidly. But on the other hand, you're able to catch things because you have that recording. Because you know, there's a lot of things you miss right away. Yeah, you know, you There's no think... way to really, you know, you come at people with so much information that there's bound to be things that you just did not hear somebody say. Well, it's nice to have it recorded. But, I mean, during COVID, so much was done virtually. And I, I think people missed out on a lot of interaction with each other because we are social beings. And, you know, I, but it's nice to offer both. Yeah. You know, I mean, that's why, you know, I mean, so you, we have the opportunities for them to get together, mingle, do prod, you know, do, do that hands-on stuff, but also, you know, the opportunity to be able to, you know, sit there and just really absorb what it is that you have. So, you know, I mean, it's actually, you know, it's worked out, you know, very well. Of course, we were actually moved into virtual because of COVID. Um, but then we stayed with it because it works so well. Yeah. Um, and uh, and the university is actually looking to maybe develop it more as a self study program in the future. Oh, that's so nice. we'll see what we'll see what happens. But you know, it's you know, right now we're just you know enjoying it, and we've got a class of about twenty who are you know taking it for the first time this year. Now you're full for 2024. Right. Uh, Anybody can sign up for 2025, yep. and I would suggest, as you would, to do it as soon as you can because, like you say, the class fills yeah. up. If you're, you so know, if you're thinking about it, you should, you know, you know, call or email in, give us, you know, the, your address so we can get applications off to you so that you know you'll be able to be in that 2025 class. Hopefully. Yeah. Why there we... are. There's a lot. I mean, you have to go through a. An interview. We have background checks. I mean, it's all. It's you know, it is a volunteer program with Cooperative Extension. So there's a lot of little hoops that you have to, you know, jump through in order to be accepted into the program. But I do think that you would anybody would find it a really worthwhile. Well, be, being full, you know, full every year. Uh, obviously, it's very popular, and it's not that hard to uh, get through as long as you're. Not a convicted felon, I would think, you know, or a uh, produce uh, thief from uh, grocery stores. <laughs> but anyway, why don't you tell us a little bit about the program? Uh, yeah. I mean, what you know, uh, what it's about. and Yeah, well, the, pro- the program itself, you know, is what we look for in the individuals who come in is somebody who is willing to learn. You don't need to know a lot about gardening. You just need to be willing to learn. Okay. And the most important part, is the willingness to share the knowledge and the willingness to talk with others about it. Um, so what we do is we have a 
14-week program that runs you through um, everything from soup to nuts. We start out with soils, we do basic botany, basic entomology, and then we get into all of the other nitty, more nitty-gritty things, um, and right down to helping to identify different, the most common types of insect and disease problems of, you know, plants and, um, you know, et cetera. So it really is... What we try to do is train the folks how, where to find the best resource that's out there, uh, to use a good research-based resource that's really going to be available, and then be able to disseminate that information off to folks. I mean, that's really what Extension is all about, is taking research-based information and turning it into something that's easier to understand sure. that you can disseminate to the general public. and. And what we're doing here is just adding that layer of getting, you know, folks in your backyard to help do that. And that makes it really nice. And, you know, I mean, some of the Master Gardeners, I warned them, I said, as soon as you let your neighbor know that you're in the Master Gardener program, you're going to have things dropped off at your door. Yeah, word of mouth. Phone I mean, calls from everywhere, you yeah. know, I mean, because people are going to, you know, start asking and checking, but. You know, it really is. It's a, it's a worthwhile program, and I haven't had anybody who has ever gone through the program tell me, you know, wow, I didn't enjoy it. They well, all really do. They're basically an arm of the Cooperative Extension. That is what they are. And they kind of help you out. Yeah. The program itself started back in uh, 70, 78 or 79 in the state of Washington. Okay. Uh, an ag field agent was being bombarded by a lot of residential callers mm -hmm. asking questions. And he was trying to get out onto his commercial calls, you know, and, and help the producers. And he was like, there's got to be something we can do. And this is where they started to train. They did a pilot program training some people. And then this now turned into a uh, nationwide program. And actually, it's an international program. There are several wow. countries that run a master gardener program very similar to ours now this isn't just for homeowners or retirees that just want to do something i, I read where your class this year consists of doctors and professors uh, architects and artists and uh, all varied people retired and ho homemakers and yeah i think that's great i mean yeah. you have we to have, have a love kinds, yeah we have all kinds of ages that are there you, you have to have an interest in gardening. Right. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be your your love, uh, you know, it just, you need to have a good interest in it. And we have had master gardeners who have really done nothing in the past with gardening other than having a couple of houseplants who have thrived and are still volunteers for us several years later. So they, I, I mean, the program, they have to train for 50 hours. Uh, it has on the site. Yeah, I can't remember how many hours it really is. It's yeah. a lot because it's, you know, it's basically 14 weeks from nine to three. Um, and then there's those, you know, monthly sessions. So right. I think we're talking more than 50 hours. And <laughs> yeah, well, and, and then they have to have a, um, I mean, like I do working at the track for the summer, you have to have a, a refresher course every year and uh, to stay up to date, I'm sure, and any new products that have come on the market or different we do things. our refreshers through our staff meetings and so we don't add, they don't have to go into a full course they just need to be participating you know throughout 
and have X amount of hours that they complete throughout, you know, the year in order to remain, you know, active as mm -hmm. a volunteer. So, um, you know, and all the counties in the area do run a Master Gardener program. We do have, there's a lot of variables. There's variables in the cost of the program, variables in how much volunteer time, you know, people are looking for. We have a very unique program in Saratoga where we require more volunteer time if you want to get some money back for the course. So you pay up front and then we give you some money back if you give us 100 hours. To be certified as a Master Gardener after you complete the course, you must give 70 hours of okay. volunteer time. Otherwise, you cannot be certified as a Master Gardener. For the following year? or that's, Well, that, that's, that's your initial certification. Oh, okay. All right. So you have to have 70 hours of volunteer time for initial certification. To remain an active Master Gardener, you only need 25 hours of volunteer time okay. in a year. Well, I mean, if you're investing your time into the the program and the classes, I mean, you're certainly going to get those hours, you know, of volunteer time. That's what you're there for. If you didn't want to volunteer, you know the hours up front that you have to do. That's right. And so you wouldn't take that course. Uh, yeah. Cause yeah, that's all part of our interview process that we have that, you know, we go so that you are aware of what's really expected of you. Sure. And, of course, life changes for everybody. So some people, you know, can't complete it all. Right. Yeah, no, but... But many of them can complete the coursework, but, you know, because of, you know, family becoming ill or, or all of a sudden moving, they're not necessarily going to complete the certification. Now, just, you know, I, off the top of my head, I come up with crazy questions. But let's say somebody take, signs up for your course, they pass everything, and they're taking, they get up to half of the course, and they move. Can they pick the other half up? in another state wherever they move to if they have a master gardener program and use the hours they put in with you if they're not totally certified before they move no okay they're going to have to go right through if they were totally certified in the state when they move we would give them a letter of recommendation and master gardener of good standing note okay. which would allow them to transfer into a different program okay but if they didn't complete the course before they moved, no, no they would they, end up having transfer to start over. over. Okay. And yeah. they have to pass a written exam. You ever give an oral exam to those nuts like me who don't do well on written exams, but I'm very well on oral exams? Well, you see, our written exam is actually open book, so it's pretty easy. Oh, that, yeah, that's okay <laughs> then. Yeah, I, I love open book tests. Yeah, yeah, I really yeah, do. No. I mean, yeah, no, so, um, no. And so, yes, our, you know, the qualifying factor is you must get a 70 on the written exam, but it's an open book test. Well, if you can't get a so, 70 on an open book <laughs> test, I mean, uh, Master Gardener, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, you know, no. are you only going to get and, 70% you know, on a seed packet or what? And, you know? and that's the whole thing, you know. I mean, it, it's not there to, we, we, because we're bombarding folks with so much information yeah. at once, you're not going to absorb it all. Right. And so we're just looking to make sure that you're going to be able to find the answer. And that's why the open book test is actually really good, because it's asking questions that are common questions that you would get as a master gardener. Sure. And you need to find the answer. Yeah. Yeah. Well, no. yeah. I mean, that's 
That's pretty standard. I mean, you're training the people, and it's an intense course, and, I mean, they're going to pick up information, but like you say, there's always things that pop up that you have to refer to the manual, um, even though you may have known that information. If you don't get it every day, you're going to, you lose a little bit of, uh, you know, what you've done. That's exactly right, yeah. I mean, I do the same. If yeah. I don't drive for five days, I get in the car, I have no clue where I'm going. Yeah, yeah, no. And so, and that's what one of the nice things about, you know, the classes that we do offer to have the, you know, veteran master gardeners, those who have completed in past years, you know, jump in any time and join in on a class and use it as a refresher. Because, you know, there are, there's things that change all yeah. the time, but there's yeah. also, you know, you just need that extra little bit. You know, usually you find... If you listen to something three different times, you've picked up something different each time you've listened. Oh, sure. You well, know like what you've really missed. It's like watching a TV show. If you see it more than once, you pick up things that you missed the first time you watched it, you know, and uh, I, it's, it's yep. crazy. All right. Well, that's the uh, Master Gardener program. Um, this has been a very hard winter. It's been a swing back and forth. Very difficult. And... I'm sure there's going to be a lot of uh, winter damage um, and some other problems. Let's talk about um, winter burn because we've had some terrible winds when it's been very cold and terrible winds when it's been in the 40s this, this winter. Yeah, We're going to really see some real extremes this, you know, come spring. It's really going, it's, it's, it's concerning because if you think back, um, you know, we had plant material in bloom in November. Um, you know, crab apples were in bloom. Oh. Rhododendrons were in bloom. Lilacs were in bloom. You know, so because we were in such a warm stretch where we really weren't seeing those temperatures go. Um, so we have a lot of stresses onto our plant material. They're just finally with this little bit of cold here starting to harden off okay. and reaching that point of some dormancy. So prior to that, we were still in a pretty good growth surge. We were having soil temperatures that were still reading, you know, at 40 degrees. Wow. You know, we weren't really dropping. We weren't getting that depth of, you know, cold. We're not necessarily worried about, you know, hard frost in the soil, but you're really looking for that cold because when the soils are still 40, you're still actually getting some active growth potential that's there, which means the plants aren't slowing down. Right. Now, when you say hardened off, especially with the uh, warm weather and then the cold, it's been, we've had some rain and, and a little bit of snow, but the plants dry out too if the soil doesn't get, fro you know, frost gets down far enough, correct? Correct. Yeah. You know, so you, you, you're going to be looking at um, broadleaf evergreens, are probably one of the biggest concerns, your rhododendrons, your, you know, um, azaleas. azaleas, you know, you get into those lines of what it is you have. And then look at your arborvitaes and your yews. You are going to see stresses onto those plants. You're going to see a lot of, you know, uh, darkening Brown. of foliage, browning of foliage that's going to come your way. Boxwoods are going to really, I'm, I'm concerned as to what we're going to see with boxwood. 
Yeah, um, because they're kind of temperamental to begin with. Right? They are, and what I'm seeing a lot of right now is a lot of browning onto them, which is because we went from extreme warmth to cold. Um, doesn't mean that they're dead, but it does mean that they are really stressing within their system. So yeah. I'm a little concerned as to what we may see on some of those large you know, properties that have a large amount of boxwood, boxwood hedges here and there. I'm thinking like, you know, the dance museum that's, you know, got a lot of boxwood hedge around that area right. as to what might really be happening. We think back a number of years ago, we had some similar circumstances happen down in the state park where we lost plant material that was there for, you know, 70 years due yeah. to the types of weather conditions. So, you know, you, you, we really are, you know, and that was, you know, like 10 years ago right. when that happened. And here we are 10 <laughs> years later going through a very similar type season. Yeah. It seems like uh, it is, um, you know, every so often. It's not like one or two years in a row. It, you know, it's it's like a cycle. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, that it's. but this has been, you know, very unusual. And then it gets, you know, nasty cold. Yeah. And, well, and then, next you, week, then you ended up with the snows that we had. And you have that quick Christmas that occurs to plant material. Yeah. And when you get that, you get a lot of breakage that will occur. Yeah. Our snows really weren't all that heavy that no. we had. But you, because the plant material wasn't hardened prior, you have a lot of breakage that's out there. So we have a lot of, there's a lot of things to clean up. Yeah. You know, a lot of things that really need to be done. And now that we actually are finally reaching the point that we do have a little bit more of an extended period of chill, you know, the plant materials are at least going to harden enough that it would be okay for us to come in and start doing some of that, you know, trim off what's damaged. Yeah. You know, get rid of it right away because the longer we leave a big open wound open, the more likely there is to be a problem down right. the road. You know, I hear pros and cons, and, and maybe it's just some plants or, or evergreens in that to use shrub covers on. Uh, is the, Are they beneficial for uh, plants. I know my wife has spirea, and she likes to put a cover over them because they're so delicate. You know, their their twigs aren't that thick. No, they're not. That is absolutely correct. Yeah, Any kind of protection that will help on snow loads so that you don't lose a tremendous amount of that plant in a storm is definitely going to be beneficial to the plant. The more that we have to cut back the greater the stress is onto the plant and the tougher it is for its full recovery. Sure. You know, so if we can use something like that, if we've got, um, you know, if we're near a roadway and we have a lot of salt spray using a burlap, um, not even necessarily a wrap, but just a barrier, a oh, fencing okay. of it. All right. to, sorry. All right. To help, um, you know, protect the salt spray from getting directly onto the plant material. Mm -hmm. You know, anything along those kinds of lines to help protect plants really is important. But, yeah, shrub covers can be very good, especially on things that are going to be tender plants. Yeah, well, you know, I, I, I look at things like you said, the spirea, the, little, the smaller Korean lilacs, things that are very, very tender and don't and have have a chance of really having a lot of brittle breakage. Right. If they had a snow load, Azaleas. would be good to cover. Yeah. But you should leave 
uh, slots in the covers so that you can get some rain you, or snow through and, and it. And you, to want, water you just them. want the breathability. You don't want yeah. to seal anything totally up. Right. It needs to be able to breathe. Another one that I've seen in the past is um, the use short use because the snow lays in the center of them and they spread it out and sometimes they'll come back if depending on the stress of that snow in the middle of them but sometimes they're spread out and you can't get that perfect roundness to flatten off that's exactly right you know anytime you have anything that you're really looking for you have a specimen plant you really need to think about some type of protection that you know can happen Especially if it's anywhere near where you're going to get a major snow load. Yeah, or snow blow yeah. your sidewalk to the front porch, and you know you got to put it in a it's lot. Got, of, it's got to go somewhere. It's got to <laughs> go somewhere. And if you get a lot of snow for the winter, you can build up a bank on one side, so you got to throw it on the other. You know, it, it's a tough uh, thing, but you should pr- use protection on on your foliage you really or should. plants, d- depending on what type they are. Yep. Tender uh, plants definitely should be protected. Oh yeah, how did how is this affecting the apple crop uh, for the fall? I know a lot of times if they put the blossoms out too early and then freeze off, you can have big problems in production. Yeah, yeah. you know, and and honestly, you know, where we were seeing problems at homeowners, I was not seeing any apple blossoms per se in bloom at any orchard facilities i was seeing crab apple in bloom on a homeowner property okay and a lot of that is just because of the way people care for things a little bit of over fertilization Mm -hmm. keeps things a little bit more viable longer um where where you're growing a crop for fruit production you're really fertilizing at the appropriate time and not at a time that's going to maybe encourage a plant to continue to push out soft growth right and then a homeowner situation that's usually what ends up happening somebody comes in with a late uh, fall feeding on a lawn or something along that line and they're encouraging nitrogen to push flushes of growth which then make that plant material you know come into a, a bloom at the wrong time because the weather conditions were right yeah um you know so right now, we're not really concerned about what's happening out there. What concerns us is going to be what really happens when we hit the month of April. Mm-hmm. And what kinds of ups and downs are we going to have at that point in time? That's the critical time. Though, That's our fruit, critical for time. For fruit trees. Um, you know, we had when we bought our house, uh, the previous owner had a, a huge crab tree in the backyard. It must you know, I don't know how old it was, but it was big. And they used to take care of it with um, spray, you know, to keep them, keep them nice. And then they used to can them at the end of the year. And I don't know what exactly they did, but so they could, are they edible? I mean, they ate them, so Absolutely. I don't know. I mean, they turned radioactive, yeah. but I don't know if it, <laughs> Uh, Crab apple are, jams and jellies are great. Yeah, they may have yeah, used no, it they're for that. Very, you know, and a lot of people will use them in other types of cooking recipes. You know, I mean, you have to think about which size crab apple you have. You've got, right. you have crab apples that range anything from being, you know, tinier than the tip of your, you know, pinky, you right. know, to being larger than, you know, the tip of your thumb. 
Yeah. So it depends upon what kind of crab apple, you know, you're looking at. So definitely those really tiny ones, those are really, that's that's bird food. Too much. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's Well, these were in between, food. I would say, a diamond but, quarter. Yeah, uh, you know. And, and somewhere in there. Yeah, and that's the kind that's, you know, used very often for, you know, doing things for, you know, jams and jellies. Yeah. You know, you talked about um, doing things to trees and, and shrubs, uh to keep the, keep them going longer than they should. The same thing is to be said for lawns, isn't it? People tend to fertilize right up to the end of uh, when the ground freezes over. I mean, I see people mowing their lawns. I saw somebody mowing their lawns in the beginning of December to get rid of some of the leaves. You know. I mean, and, and and because we didn't have a ground freeze at that time, they were not harming anything by doing that. But should you fertilize? Yeah, no, but no. Fertilizations, no. In our area, you really should not be fertilizing, you know, like October 10th is about your deadline. Right. You really shouldn't fertilize after that. Not for our area. Not for the kind of conditions that we look at. Because you will encourage the potential of other diseases and insects to be more problematic come spring if you do a late, late fertilization. So for our area, we really would not recommend a, a fertilization later in the season. Now I know, but you do want to mow, you know, until the grasses really have stopped growing. Oh yeah, you know, and there have been times. I mean, there's been times in the past that I recall mowing up until around the first week of December, just because the grasses were still growing. Right, and and what I always do, you know, I mean, I know, I know this is a pet peeve of yours, but I always bag my clippings, <laughs> and what's in the fall, I like when I mow, I can pick up the leaves that I can't rake up. So you still have a nice looking lawn, you know, but I'm sure if I mulched everything, even the leaves would be good uh, over the winter. Yes, they uh, would. But see, I'm so picky. <laughs> I like to see nice, clean, flat lawn. Yeah, you know? but you know, mulching those leaves is nice extra food. Yeah. It really does well. It helps keep the root system very, very healthy. You really need to keep those microorganisms in the soil going and as much health as you possibly can give them. So anytime that we can return a clipping or, you know, mulch some leaves down, you know, for that, we're going to give some extra food, you know, and that's the kind of food that's really wanted by our decomposers. The guys who are in the soil who are actually working to really build up natural nutrients, Um, you know, so that's really what we're looking for. So, yeah, you know, bagging is... I, I, I do understand where a lot of people do, but, you know, bagging is one of those things that uh, is really not beneficial at all. No. Well, see, when I, years ago when I had my landscaping business in Garden Center, if you went to one of your customers' homes and you mulched, they would say to you, you know, it doesn't <laughs> look neat, you know. So we always, I think that's why I got used to uh, bagging. Then we used to fertilize yeah. the heck out of it in the spring so it would green up. But that's where I got to start bagging, so they would be happy to look out and see that nice, flat, green green grass. Um, Luckily, we're starting to change people's minds a little on that. I hope yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah I, no, I, I hope so. You know, we're getting a little ways. Yeah. It's really kind of funny because there is some re- current research that was done um, showing some microorganism activity in decomposers especially um, on the difference between land that was being grown more as native lawn versus a more 
manicured lawn. And, you know, which, which really the manicuring was not, um, you know, it was still, it was returning clippings and doing things like that. But it was, you know, instead of having a variety of other types of plant materials other than just grasses. And the research is actually showing that the grass lawn mm -hmm. honestly has more decomposers active than the native lawn does. Oh, okay. So now, mind you, we're just early in this research, so we'll see what happens as we get more years behind. Sure. You know, but, you know, it may not be as beneficial as folks really were thinking oh, for, okay. for some of the microorganisms in the soil. The difference is maybe pollinator habitat, but not necessarily soil health. Okay. Because especially with the cost of fertilizer, and that's only going to keep going up and up, people are probably going to be looking for, uh, oh, I call it homeopathic um, methods of, you know, doing things without paying a lot of money for them, you know. Um, I, there's one other thing for this time of the year, and then I want to, I, well, no, while we're on the subject of fertilizing and that, I, I have a garden. And uh, I have winter uh, vegetables, okay. or late vegetables. When I pick, pick them and clean them up, can I, and usually it's in the winter, of course, can I fertilize that garden so that it'll have some nutrients in the spring when I go to replant, or shouldn't I do that? Fertilizer should never be used from November 1st until at least April 1st. Okay, because you want to... I always know that, you know, you should move your, your and this may not be in gardens. I know rotation uh, is good for um, growth because you, different plants take different minerals out of, mm -hmm. out of the soil. So I didn't know if when you garden up to the late time with your root vegetables, um, if you needed to do that at that time. No. no, it's really not going to be beneficial at all, and it's really just going to dissipate and then go into the, you know, the, the system, yeah. which definitely when it is not necessarily healthy putting it into the ecosystem at that okay. time. So maybe plant your root vegetables on the other end of the garden. Yeah. Uh, uh, and, you know, and then yeah. uh, it, it, that's a, a hard call to make. As yeah. People always think of fertilizing. I mean, that they don't think of the timing of it. And, I mean, I remember you saying on lawns, fertilize for the seasons, like if the holidays, you know, and people can't wait until uh, Memorial Day, uh, you know, they're out there in April fertilizing right. their lawn. And, you know, one other, uh, off of the subject here, uh, you know, people use live Christmas trees. Right. And, you know, they... They dry out in mm -hmm. the house. So when they, uh, at one time you used to, uh, you had told me, and, and, you know, we talked about that. And you said, you know, if you take the needles, like when you go to throw your Christmas tree out, if you take the needles and bag them in cheesecloth or whatever, they make great, um, if you put them in your drawer, mm -hmm. dresser drawers, they make great. Uh, whatever you call them there, sachets or, right. yep. you know, yep. and is that like, 
that's a great way to use yes, and recycle uh, part of your Christmas tree. Absolutely. You know, and that will help ward off a lot of your dermistead type beetles, things that might, you know, come into, uh, you know, a long-term storage. If you've got, you know, things within your dresser drawers that you're not into all the time, that's a great way to help, you know, control just that natural scenting of what it is you get from, you know, a lot of that will help drive them away, not let them sit up and, and rest and shop right there. So it cuts down on things like your, you know, your clothes moths, your, you know, um, carpet beetles, things along that line, things that are could potentially cause harm down the road. Sure. If they were left or put a couple, put, put, I, you don't have to use uh, the size of a grocery bag. But um, even that would be for, a little big, a little big, <laughs> but even for, yeah, it may drive your spouse out yeah, of the yeah, house. Yeah. But, uh, but even in your closets that you don't use a storage closet uh, yep. for your linen, you know, your towels and whatever, uh, that's a great place to probably. Absolutely. Uh, but I remember you saying that and that yep. we don't have a real tree, um, but it's just something you can get more use out of a real tree that you pay good money for. And, you know, just take yep. it. It doesn't take a lot of time to do that. Because and if the needles haven't dried to the point that they're going to start dropping, utilizing that and cutting off those branches and placing them over your flower beds as mulching mm-hmm. material is really good. Oh, um, you know, and then and then as the winter progresses, those needles will eventually end up drying and dropping. But, you know, that's just easily going to work into the soils. And those soil decomposers that are so important out there right. are just going to dissipate them and make them go away. And you're not going to have to worry about cleanup. You'll have some twigs to, you know, branches oh, to yeah. remove. But they're big enough. But you're not going to have, you know, needles that you're going to have to be worried about. Sure. So there's uh, a lot of great uses. Oh, yeah. I, I mean, there's... Or if you know somebody who has goats. Right. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> because that's like one of the biggest treats is to just, you know, feed the goats Christmas trees. Oh, really? They love them. Goats love Christmas they trees. They love them. Wow, I never knew that. Yeah. I know uh, what an animal likes pumpkins. There was a guy that uh, that I worked with that was trying to get as many pumpkins that he could. And I don't know, did deer like pumpkins? There was some, oh no, I know what it was. It was farm animals. It was... Um, uh, pigs. Love, yeah, I was just uh, going to say that. That yeah. was the only thing I could think of. Yeah. That really likes but, pumpkins. So they uh, they like uh, pine needles. Oh, they uh, do. Goats. They love them. Wow. Yep. All right. I don't like to get near them. <laughs> yeah, no. I don't know why. They they kind of scare me with their <laughs> oh. little horns. Yeah. There, you know? Yeah. No. But they're such a great animal, though. Yeah. 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 Are yeah. they? No, they really are. Uh, All right. I'll take your word for it. Um, You're listening to WSPN 91.1 FM, and we're here at Skidmore Radio, uh, one of the best radio stations around. And people that I uh, talk to uh, love listening to the music that the station plays during the week, which is kind of, you know, the younger uh, generation mm-hmm. and but they like the music they love listening to the station which i think is great you know it's a local station college run um if you want to call in and ask sue a question or um you know want to make fun of me uh you can do that <laughs> at 518-580-5783 that's 580-5783 and um we are talking about a bunch of things um 
uh, with outdoor and indoor. Um, indoor plants. Now, the wintertime, I, I mean, that's pretty much what people have flowering. You can't look outside and see your perennial garden or, you know, any plants, uh, rose bushes or that. So what are some of the, uh, and people usually put them in a window, bay window mm -hmm. or whatever, which can be kind of chilly. Um, what are some of the things that people can buy that will kind of do good in, in a situation like that or in the middle of their dining room table or whatever? Oh, there's so many things to choose from. There really, really are. You know, if you're looking to have some long-term color uh, on a plant material, something like a kalanchoe um, will give you blossoms for a very long time. It's more of a succulent leaf plant. Mm -hmm. um, doesn't really, really, and does not require being in a lot of light. So if you don't have a lot of light, it makes a really great plant for you. Um, because that way you can really be, you know, setting there with, with good color for a long period of time. Doesn't need a lot of watering because of more of the succulency that the plant has and can work out really well. You know, African violets used to be our tried and true plant. Yeah. Well, you were. know, and they're now making a comeback. They are. But you do need to have light for the African violet. So that does need that window. And you want to be careful that you don't get too close to the windows. Right. Because you don't want, a, you know, a zero degree night, you know, is really yeah. making a, a lot of chill onto that plant. Well, even thermal pane windows still get a, a little chilly, uh, you know, right up next to them. My wife has great luck with African violets. She yeah. really does. You know, but and they really are making that come back into there. But we have so many different plant materials that are available out there. Um, you know, that people can utilize that are going to have that more long-term effect. You know, then you have your plant materials that maybe you got for the holidays that are kind of waning at this point. Your poinsettias, your cyclamens, um, you know, which both of them can be maintained, right. but require a little bit more work right. in order to maintain them. Um, you know, so if you're looking for an ease of plants, you know, honestly... Probably one of the favored for a lot of color at this time of the year really does come into that Kalanchoe because you can have many different colors and it really does well. But, you know, for, you know, you've got a lot of other things that are available out there. We've got begonias that are available year round, which have beautiful blooms onto them. Once again, requiring light for that one. Yeah. So it really depends upon how much, you know, light you have, what your settings really happen to be as to what you really can do. And then think about some of the other plant materials that maybe don't have, you know, flowers to them, but really have nice colorations onto them. Things like a prayer plant that has mm -hmm. a very diverse color to its foliage. Right. Or the frosted fern, which you always find around the holidays, which really does well as long as you can mist it a little bit and will last for, you know, a good period of time. Um, what, what I found out more recently on the frosted fern, which I did not know, in Australia, they really consider it an invasive plant. <laughs> they do. And it's just yeah, funny. Yeah, oh, no. yeah, it's funny. Yeah, yeah, no. So you just never really know what it is that you're really going to be working right. with. <laughs> you know, some cactuses have a uh, bloom on them also that are, uh, there's one that I love, and my wife doesn't, doesn't care for them, but... 
it looks like a bishop's cap. Oh, it's yes, red. yes. And I, I love those because they come in different colors. Absolutely. I, I've seen red ones and yellow. And, um, I mean, cactuses are pretty neat to take care of because they don't require a lot of tender loving care, but uh, you can't overdo things on them either, like overwater them. But they, right. some of those have blooms that are kind of, kind of neat too and you have to be cautious when you're replant potting a cactus not just because of course you know cactuses have a lot of spines to them but you want to make sure you're not putting them into more of a peat type soil right they need to have a soil that's extremely well drained that's a sand type based soil now are they they like a tight pot though don't they they do so you, yes. you really can't go to, if you transplant it to a, a real large uh, that uh, you will kill it. Yeah, that is the best way to kill it is putting it into too big of a pot. Okay, you know because you're going to maintain a lot of excess moisture mm -hmm. around oh, you know that root. Okay, and that will actually cause a root rot to develop, and it'll, it'll develop. It'll probably cause more of a soft rot internally into the plant. Right, where all of a sudden you know one day your cactus is looking great, and the next day you start to see it just kind of almost looks like it's dehydrated but it right. really what it really has done is the whole center has rotted out and it just oh, turned into okay. mush so you better make the kill out so. of it real quick <laughs> quick as you can uh, sorry about that no, <laughs> that's uh, okay now should you water those from the bottom or at the top because there's enough room from the top to put a little water on them not like foliage plants yeah. where it's hard to get in with, with cactus you really are better if you can water it from the top and just give it a little rather than watering from the bottom okay we talked about um you know winter damage and the cold and the hot but um some people prune uh foliage back from their bushes outside or whatever is is a good time now as long as your plant has definitely hardened it's a good good okay. thing to do and it really is a good time even I, and I know that we very often will say, you know, birches and maples, they're bleeders. You want to, you know, hold back on them. They're not going to lose enough sap to make it a problem. Right. You know, but if you have a situation where they are, where like they're overhanging a driveway and it's going to drip onto a car, sure, you might want to wait until it leaves out before you do that pruning. But if that's not the situation... You know, still pruning during that time when the plant is really in its, you know, hardened off stage is still a better time to prune it. And with this cold weather, uh, when because we've had maybe two or three weeks of cold weather, probably is a good time. Now, yeah, before it warms up again, I mean, it's supposed to warm up next week again uh, a little bit. And uh, so, you know, it probably is a good time of the year to do that right now. And also another thing to be looking at is right now we do have still have a lot of activity of wildlife out there. Yeah. So if you had young plants that were put in the ground, some type of protection, you know, to make sure that those rabbits and mice aren't gnaw, gnawing away at the bark would be a good thing. So you still have time. Your plants aren't buried under, you know, feet of snow. Yeah. You know, you still have time to go out and put a nice wrap around the plant okay. so that you're not going to get that gnawing. And even if, the if deer, you have right? a, you know, if you have wildlife feed on a plant and go all the way around, that plant is going to give up the ghost. It might not be immediate, 
it may be, you know, four months down the line, and then all of a sudden it's dead. Yeah. You know, it's not like it's going to be, we come into spring and it's, you know, definitely dead. You right. may be thinking, oh, look, even though it's, you know, you know, fed all around, it's going to survive. It still had a lot of nutrients up in the plant. Sure. It'll push the plant until the point that it can't actually now pass any more nutrients right. up. Because you can't get past a area if we've really gnawed totally around. Right. One of the good things, though, I think, uh, and I could be wrong, but one of the good things about this winter is that there were a lot of um, a animals, deers and rabbits, still had a lot of low growth that they could eat uh, without probably getting into uh, shrubs or uh, bushes or whatever because it, we didn't have much snow, so there was still a lot of ground food for them. Right, and now that we've getting into the point yeah. of getting a little bit of snow cover, yeah. now's the time to think about did you have something out there that, that is in a situation that might be nibbled at. Right. <laughs> um, one of the things, uh, you know, with this road salt they're putting down and the cars have so much salt on them that if you do have a a, a lot of deer that come around, you can use your car as a salt lick. <laughs> because, because I'll tell you, I'm, my car is gray and you would think it's white from halfway up to the door. I mean, and you can't wash your car because it's so cold out. And it, it's unbelievable, you know, the, the salt they put on the roads, which I guess they need up to a point. But, oh, my gosh, I'm glad they're making cars out of plastic now because uh, there's not a lot of rust. Uh, you know, it used to be your cars would rust right. out bad. But now you get underneath a, a little bit more. But Yeah, that undercarriage rusts pretty easily. So. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah, but, yeah. No. So you should protect. I mean, you, you really should have protected your plants and shrubs before the winter started, but it's been so nice that you can do it now. That's exactly right. You can still get out now, yep. where a lot of times, if we get a lot of snow in December early and you haven't covered them, you're going to be looking at some type of damage. Yeah, definite, definitely some loss. You know what I saw a lot of? I go down... Um, you know, I dr drive small school bus right. for Upstate, and um, we take Saratoga kids to, to different schools. And uh, one of my uh, trips down to take one of the child's, it's go down Daniels Road. Um, I, I don't know if you know where okay. that is. Yep. All right, And you go down, and there's a lot of farm area in one section. And one of the city, the city owns a large field that they uh, have, soccer in the summer for mm -hmm. kids and that. Yep. Well, we saw geese out there, and I mean there must have been two to three hundred geese eating what was on the ground. Um, and this was only maybe three, four weeks ago. And we could not believe how many there were still able to eat off of the ground. And I always thought that they went south. And I didn't know if it was because of the weather or they just had some mental issue that they stayed here. Um, not not all migrate. Okay. You know, so, you know, and it really depends. And then the migrations do get waylaid sometimes just okay. because of the way weather conditions really are. Okay. 
Um, and so you do find, you know, that you, we're, and that, and that's one of the big things we've got coming up in, um, uh, I'm trying to think what week in February it is. I think it's around the 18th and 19th, that week time frame where it's the big bird count, you know, oh. Cornell or ornithology lab, you know, really is looking for folks always to, you know, be on a bird watch do surveys, let, let them know what kind of birds they're seeing, what's out there. We're finding with climatic changes that there's a lot of variables that are really happening with birds, you know, both as to types of birds that aren't staying in the area any longer and birds that really, you know, are staying that never used to stay in the quantities before. Okay. And so there's a, you know, so everybody can help with this. You know, this bird count's open for everyone. If you go on to the Cornell Ornithology uh, website, there's great information. And I believe there's even a, a primer um, Zoom session that you can go into to help you, you know, learn what some of the common birds are so that sure. when you're out there looking, you actually have something that you can report. And then you report that in. And then those statistics go into really allowing them to study more of what's really what's happening. So, you know, I really encourage people, you know, you have these citizen science type projects that are out there now and sure. then. It's a really great way to get everybody in the family interested in it. You know, well, we have my wife has five bird feeders on a pole, you know, and they have uh I don't know, like branches sticking out, plastic. And she has bird feeders out there for different birds. Mm -hmm. I mean, mealyworms and then some kind of seed for this one. So we have every known bird to mankind in our backyard. And, and it's really neat because we get blue jays and cardinals and two different kinds of woodpeckers and bluebirds. And um, she even has an app on her phone. Uh, that she can, if she hears a bird and isn't sure what, because she can tell a bird by, you know, it, it's uh, singing or tweet. Yeah. She hits the her program on her phone, and <clears throat> it'll tell what can, what bird it is. And you know, and we have hawks, and and of course hummingbirds in the season. Um, but she knows her birds, and uh, she'd be a good one for that. So yeah. maybe yeah. during the daytime I could put her yeah. out in the tree, which overlooks <laughs> the bird feeder, and maybe she'd be a good one. You know, she could take that program. And, no. and I say that because she doesn't listen to this show and because um, she hates to hear me talk. But, uh, you know, maybe I could do that. And, uh, she really hates to hear you talk or just she's heard you so much. I don't know. <laughs> I, but, you know, I mean, she even has binoculars because, yeah, you know, yeah. there will be a hawk in the backyard. And of course, sure, we have a, yeah. a large, uh, we have a pit bull, so we're not worried about the hawk carrying the pit bull away. But, you know, there's neighbors yeah. on each side that have cats. So she's a, when she sees the hawk, she's always on the lookout for, you know. But, yeah, we have every, we have so many different types of birds. But she hates the, uh, what one does she hate? Because they chase away, they, they eat uh, the bluebird eggs. Um, starlings? Oh, yes. She doesn't yes. like starlings, and she's got this little dowel. And I'm watching TV. I'm watching a ball game or something, and I hear this tap on the window, <laughs> and she'll go, darn starlings. And, I mean, every time I told her, please stop it. Yeah, I mean, you know, but I guess I, she doesn't want starlings around. So Sure, yeah. Um, well, they really can be very aggressive oh, on yeah. top of it. So it's, you know, you definitely... 
It's not. It's not really. You don't want to have them in your nice habitat. Oh you right. Know, you can keep. Well, them I'm away. afraid to go out in the backyard sometimes because yeah. we get two or three different kinds of woodpeckers. Some of them are really large, and I'm always afraid of getting attacked by those babies. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, you know, I just. Yeah, I, I no. just don't want to go out there. They're not going to come after you, Rick. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I heard they go after sweet, <laughs> sweet smelling people, you know. <laughs> of course, I could be wrong, but uh, you're listening to WSPN 91.1 FM Skidmore Radio. And um, we have a uh, uh, just a few minutes left. So um, some woody ornamental plants are seldom a deer food. Um, or are, is, are pretty much all plants uh, deer delicacies. Well, you know, we would like to really believe that we have some plant material that's out there that deer won't feed on, but in all honesty, yeah. if deer is hungry, he's going to go after anything that's going to be yeah, there true. that he can actually feed on. So, you know, there's there's some things that they're going to like more than others. Mm-hmm. You know, but they're going to feed on, there really is not a safe plant to say it's really going to be deer resistant. All right. So really your advice is in the fall, uh, think about what you're going to do to protect your shrubs and your plants. Um, Use cover and the delicate plants, um, you know, if you want to keep them for the next year. And uh, don't over fertilize your lawn. Right. Uh, that it'll it'll be nice if you follow the pattern that you've laid out before, uh, and you don't need a golf course lawn. No, you don't. Uh, to to <laughs> to be happy, and you know I I there was a that no no more May. No more May. Uh, no, yeah, mo- that, no more May. That's a whole nother subject, and I we'll know. have to. We'll do it again the next well, time. But we'll I, have to talk about that because it's not necessarily what it's cracked up to be. Okay. Well, I didn't yeah, know. No. I meant my neighbor did it, and I don't know. Yeah, it. No. But I always thought when they said no more May, I always thought they wanted to skip May, and they just <laughs> didn't want to say no more May, <laughs> you know, no more May. Um, but that's just me. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, you bring this out of me, Sue, when you're on the show, so uh, I don't know. Sorry about that, folks. No, that's okay. <laughs> hey, we have like a minute to go. Is there anything you want to throw in for that minute? Um, we're getting Homer uh, setting up for Nothing his. that I can think of off the top of my head, I'll be All right. honest. Okay, well, I hate putting you on the spot. <laughs> yeah, I, like, yeah. I mean, I like putting you on the spot because usually you can come out. Yeah, but I'll yeah. forgive you this time. Sue, it's always a good time when you're on, and the hour goes by so fast. It does. Because we have, really and there's does. a lot that we never get to. So we'll have you back again if right. you'll be so kind. Okay? Sounds good. All right. And um, that was Sue Beebe from Cornell Cooperative Extension, in Saratoga County, and they're located in Boston Spa. And uh, if you ever want to get a hold of her, um, her email address is skb11 at cornell.edu. And they have a lot of good programs, the soil samples in the spring. So take advantage of Cooperative Extension. We're very fortunate to have one around. Well, 